the known universe with its heroes and marvels. But what of the darkness? In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. She, first she says she said Labatt Blue. Yeah. But apparently they don't sell Labatt Blue down here. Mm-hmm. So instead she had to get a Czech beer. So um, Wolverine would drink Pelsner Urquil if he was, you know, mm-hmm. drinking if he was in Czechoslovakia. Or the Czech Republic now. Although in the common reading it'd be the Czech the Czechoslovakia. Still, yeah, at that point. Yeah. Welcome back, Tomb Believers, to the all-new, all-different Tomb of Ideas. I am James Hickson. And I'm still Trey Lawson. And we actually have a special guest with us tonight. Um, Comet Strider Extraordinaire. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Roll with it. <laughs> Sounds good. Extraordinaire works. Chad Bowers. Hey. Thank you, guys for, uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm still a little speechless from Extraordinaire, but I, I appreciate you having me. I'm yeah. looking forward to this. Well, uh, Chad, why don't you tell um, our readers where they might have read... Oh, sorry, our listeners where they might have read you before. Okay. Uh, I've been a comics writer for uh, probably 15 years. Uh, it, it, if anybody is familiar with my stuff, thank you for reading. If, if not, I've... Uh, I've, I've written for Oni, I've written for Boom Studios, I've written for IDW, I've written for Marvel. Um, no DC work yet, but we'll see. One day maybe. But uh, probably most most well-known for my work on X-Men 92, uh, the book that uh, started as a Secret Wars tie-in and then spun off into its own ongoing series. And then I've done several things with uh, Marvel, uh, Deadpool, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy stuff, um, Sleepwalker, Darkhawk. I can go on. Is, didn't you do the frame story for the X Men Holiday issue? Uh, I did the frame story for the for the yep the X Men Advent Calendar. That's what it was, the Advent yep. Calendar. And then I most recently did the uh, X Force Thirtieth Anniversary Special. That's right. Uh, and then uh, most recently, uh, Marvel took the uh, Deadpool graphic novel Bad Blood that we did that Chris Sims, uh, my uh, co writer on those Marvel projects, um, we did a graphic novel with Rob Liefeld. And that was recently broken up into uh, sort of four separate issues uh, with some, I guess, director's cut kind of stuff in them. Uh, mm-hmm. We put some new scenes and a couple of new pages in every issue. So, yeah, that's uh, that's probably the last thing that's been in stores. That was just you know, the last issue. That was out like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So, yeah. so it's still a chance to check, check it out, guys. So you'll be noticing some differences here in the tomb. That's right. In that we are not in the tomb. Right. But... If we're being honest with ourselves, the tomb of ideas is a state of mind. It's not a place. <laughs> uh, right now we're in your apartment. Right, right. Um, we, we have left the tomb. Um, we are no longer under the direct control of Gravely, but we did take all of his long boxes. <laughs> right, and we're going to do things a little bit differently than, you know, what you may be used to on the show. Um, we're going to jump around a bit more. yeah. Um, if you're a long-term time listener, uh, you'll know that we have been doing a fairly indexical read of Marvel Horror Comics. 
We started basically at the beginning of the Bronze Age horror stuff, <laughs> with some dips into Silver Age stuff. Yeah. But... That was a slog. It was slog. getting to be a slog. The section of the era that we were in was very slow, very dull, and was not going to get better anytime soon. No. Tomb of Dracula was always going to be as good as it was in that moment, and Ghost Rider was going to continue to be about as boring as it was in that moment. <laughs> um, and that was going to stay true basically through the 70s. Yeah. yeah. I, as a listener, I, I'm always surprised that you guys got... Like, you guys committed to it. And uh, there's, you know, like we talked about before before we started recording... You know, it's 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 some of those stories that it's it's the slow parts that sometimes make the best parts, you know, the the the, the better parts this better. Is but true. <clears throat> so, like I said, this, a lot. this is the all new, all different type of ideas. We're still going to talk about you know Jack Russell, Dracula, Ghost Rider, but we're going to jump around a bit more, and we're going to focus more on say like specific arcs, specific uh, creators, right? Um, specific characters. Like we're we're, we're going to pick a theme and run with it. And also, we're going to do fairly regular, what we call grab bag episodes. Yes. Um, if you remember back in the day in grocery stores, there used to be this plastic bag of comics where you could see the comic on one end and you could see the comic on the other, but you couldn't see the comic with a sandwich in between. And, and there was a flat price for all the comics in the bag. Yes. It would be like $3, $5, whatever, and you'd get a set number of comics, but all but those two were a mystery. Yeah. Do you guys have a favorite grab bag? Of your of your youth, um, I got one Anyone that stands out more than maybe more than another that had a bunch of Superman triangle numberings in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I got the death of Mister Mitzelplick in that one, and I think I got Electric Blue Superman in that one. Okay, oh, yeah, I uh, I'm trying to remember. I, I vividly remember a Marvel one that it wasn't an especially good one, but for some reason it sticks in my mind. Um, there was an issue of Namor in it, '90s Namor. Um, there was a Clone Saga era Spider-Man issue with Ben Riley on the cover, um, and the the middle stuff was all titles I had never heard of. <laughs> I think the one that stands out to me the most is probably <clears throat> uh, it had three. The the um, one that stood out to me the most was the uh, Liefeld. New Mutants issue, the Louis Simonson uh, Life L issue with uh, the, the New Mutants when, when Freedom Force uh, oh, yeah. came back, or when Freedom Force was the issue. And the other side was the uh, Mr. Hyde uh, Hulk issue with uh, the Sam Keith issue. And then I'm trying to remember what the third one was. I think it was a GI Joe issue, but I can't remember what it, what it is, which is embarrassing for me. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I just those were two winners, man. That 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 Life L Freedom Force issue oh, yeah. and that Sam Keith Hulk issue. I mean, like. Those are great. And the adult version of that is, you know, we, we all know each other from Heroes and Dragons, mm-hmm. the local comic shop. Um, and I think for a time there, Chris, the original owner, was doing a thing where, like, a blind short box, where it's yeah. like... <laughs> you, yeah. You, 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 it's, what is it, like, it was like 10 bucks for a blind short box? Something, something like that. Something like that. I do know that at one point in the time, that store had the biggest collection of dollar books, like, mm-hmm. in the nation. Uh, and it was just rows and rows and rows and rows of dollar books. And I remember when we decided to do that. I was there. We were working. We worked like you know for some like seventy two hours, not seventy two hours straight. We took we took took breaks. Well, <laughs> came back. But you know we plugged in and really really got that that collection up and running. It was incredible. And yeah, I think you're right. I think there was like a short box deal, but man, I can't remember what the cost was on that. Toward the end of, of uh, Chris's uh, 
running the shop, he actually ran like a Groupon deal or something. <laughs> oh, I didn't even uh, know that. Yeah, because uh, Sanite got one for me. It, it, it was like, it was a flat price, and you got a certain number of back issues like that, that were stickered, like not priced. Yeah. Um, I, I ended up with an almost complete run of Azrael. Um, an almost complete. That's great for you. <laughs> and there's a reason you ended up with that. By the way. <laughs> there's a reason that was easy to put together. An almost wherever, com- wherever you are, uh, Denny and Neil, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, an almost complete run of uh, Captain Britain and MI13. Oh, with the what? The what? Paul Cornell, I guess. Paul Cornell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. We're, um, we're, we're, we're actually going to talk about that. Which, one which that, that one's on our list. It's on our list. Yeah. Because <laughs> Dracula's got a base on the moon. <laughs> Yeah. With cannons, yes, that so, shoot, so that shoot vampires. That shoot vampires. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't forget the vampire cannons on the moon. <laughs> it's like Dracula of... having a castle on the moon is like the least interesting thing about that story. <laughs> the only thing that would have made it better is if somehow Manwolf had shown up. Mm. That's right, because he's on the moon, right? Yeah, yeah that's right. right. For a minute, I thought he had it. I realized that was that Earth X thing where like. Yeah, he's, like, he's hanging out with the Watcher. He's he's hanging out with the Watcher in that book, right? Yeah. 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 No, in Earth X, J. Jonah Jameson is on the moon taking care of his son, who is trapped in werewolf form. But what he doesn't realize is it's not his son; it's Jack Russell. So he thinks it's the Man Wolf. Yes, but it's actually. Does he have the gym? Does he have the uh, what's it called? No. Uh, what's the, the the werewolf? But I guess it's Earth X, so everyone looks weird. Yeah, everyone looks. Oh weird. yeah, it was Earth X. If I remember it correctly, um, you know, we might have to come back to it. I, I might right. be wrong. But yeah, you used to do a whole episode of Man Wolf. Like, there's, yeah. there's a lot of well, we just the Star God stuff could be yeah, an issue. That's right. Yeah. Oh yeah, we are definitely talking about George Perez Star God yeah. stuff on this show. Um, but. To get back to our, our original point, the grab bag thing, we're gonna do that. Yes. So, so we're we're gonna do we're, we're gonna take some reader suggestions. We're, yes. we're gonna invite you to, to give us some ideas, but we're gonna put together some some mystery episodes of single issues that maybe wouldn't fit into a whole episode by themselves, but that we can talk about in sequence with, with a couple of other things. Yeah, and we like I said, we're taking. Readers, listener suggestions. So, if you have an issue, a single issue that you really love and you want to talk about on the show, we will put on a list. I will roll a d twenty, and whatever comes up, we we cover. Yep, yep. Why don't you guys talk about that issue of uh, Earth X now? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, put that on the list. That's I'll put it on the list. <laughs> Hold on, I'm doing that right now. Yep. But the reason why we have Chad on the show is, you know, n- not only is he an expert on the X Men. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> But you have dalliances with the Lord of the Vampires. You know, you know a fair bit about Dracula. I, I, I do. Not as much as my co, co-writer, Chris Sims, who, like I said, I, I wrote a lot of the uh, Marvel stuff with. But but yeah, for sure. Uh, he's a huge Dracula fan. In fact, he's got a digital comic called Dracula Living Conquered that everybody should go check out. Yeah. Uh, that's but, still in Comixology, That's right? still in Comixology, yeah. I believe. And um, But yeah... Uh, we, we both are big fans of Marvel horror, and, and we can talk about that a little bit as we get into the show. I don't know what's going to come up, but but um, yeah, we, we threw we threw Dracula into the first arc of the uh, X Men ninety two ongoing series because that was one of those things that you wanted to kind of like you know, if we don't know how long this is going to last, we don't know how long we're going to be doing this. Okay, let's at least get Dracula under our belt. Let's let's get that <laughs> on my resume. So yeah. So uh, the X Men and Dracula, and that's that's our episode today, guys. Right. X Men Dracula. So we are looking at. Uncanny X-Men 159, uh, Uncanny X-Men Annual 6, 
And we're also going to uh, go off into sort of what-if territory with What If Volume 2, number 24, which is What If Wolverine Was Lord of the Vampires. Um, which is just a crazy book. We'll get there. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, but we're actually going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to go ahead and look at uh, Uncanny X-Men 159, right after these messages. Do you like spooky movies? Hair-raising tales. Insightful criticism. Judgmental hot takes. Then you're going to love horror business. The horror podcast on the Cinepunks Podcast Network dedicated to all things weird and spooky. My name is Leo Don. And I'm Justin Lore. And every episode, we're going to tear apart your favorite and not-so-favorite horror movies to get to the bottom of what makes these movies great, or maybe not great. Whether it's The Beyond, Prince of Darkness, or Inseminoid, we dive in on a double feature every episode, and then we talk about it. Some of our insights are great, and sometimes we just complain. So if we have to suffer through it, so do you. Horror Business, available anywhere you find fine podcast products. Strange and powerful forces are attracting people to Pizza Hut. It's the Marvel Comics X-Men video with a mini comic book, pull-out poster, and trading card, all for only $4.99 with any pizza purchase. There are two video packs to collect, so hurry and get your claws on them. Oh, I'll wrap that up. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Uh, our first issue this episode is uncanny x-men 159 this one is from 1982 covered a july 1982 night screams is written by chris claremont artist is bill sakevich inker is bob wycheck 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 okay um i've always said wycheck Tommy Orr's on lettering, right? Tom Tom Orzkowski. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Glennis Ween coloring, and uh, Louise Jones is the editor. Uh, Chad, I think you say you want to cover this one. Yeah, I can. I mean, it's a pretty pretty easy one. Uh, <laughs> the the X Men uh, take Misty Knight. Uh, is it Misty Knight or no? It's Misty Knight at this point, right? Misty Knight. Yeah. Uh, Misty Knight, who is uh, Storm's sometimes uh, roommate. Uh, they take her up on her uh, outstanding offer or long-standing offer to, hey, if you're ever in town, come by and hang out. Uh, you guys can use my place if you ever need a place to stay. Even though she's not in the issue. Even though she's not in the issue. Um, so uh, she does... So the X-Men show up. And I'll be honest with you, I don't remember what happened in the preceding issue of this. Uh, were they were they fighting the brood? What was what was the first... What was the thing right before this? I can't remember what they were doing. Uh, Again, it's been you know a long time since I read this run in order. But anyway, they show up at Missy's house are stunned to find that Misty now has another roommate that's there who happens to be a fashion model that Kitty is immediately enamored with. And uh, they are in town uh, because Kitty is going to go uh, spend some time with her parents, a weekend with her parents. And Storm is uh, sort of going to chaperone her, walk her over to where her parents are. Uh, They both go out on the town after going through... What's the the roommate's name? I cannot remember. Harmony Young. Harmony Young. That's one of those great comics names. Yeah. Yeah. So they end up, uh, you know, they're like, oh, we got nothing to wear. And Harmony Young's like, Storm, uh, you're beautiful. You know, come look in my closet. You know, we, we, you can have some of my amazing, you know, model clothes. <laughs> and then Chris Claremont does not miss an opportunity to point out that Storm's body shape is very different from Harmony Young's body shape. Uh, and they uh, go into the closet and pick clothes out and make it work. And then they go uh, downtown and hang out with uh, Kitty's parents. Uh, the rest of the X-Men go to bed later on. 
Uh, they get a call from Kitty Pride, and she says, hey, I just wanted to call and let you know things are growing great. I'm going to stay here with my parents a little bit longer. I'll let Storm know. And the X-Men are like, what? Storm? She didn't. She never came back. We thought she was with you. So then we find out that Storm is, uh, she's, she's, I guess, in a hospital. Uh, she's been taken to a hospital uh, after being attacked, uh, mugged, uh, and uh, they're, they're desperately trying to kind of figure out what's going on with Storm. The doctor, was it Dr. O'Hara, I think is her name, she's like, oh, this, this woman's been, you know, terribly... Uh, assaulted or throat was cut and all these things but by the time the X-Men arrives Storm's like hey it's cool I'm ready to go and she's pretty much back up and ready to go um, so they take her home and uh, that's when the weirdness happens right that's when Storm starts uh, walking around the house and mm-hmm. uh, deciding to leave uh, Harmony Young's apartment and she goes out and she has this like uh, midnight meetup with none other than the, uh, the Lord of the Vampires himself Dracula uh, also known as a Vlad Tepes, as uh, as Beachhead used to say in the old uh, uh, GI Joe uh, cartoon. Wait, Dracula's in GI Joe? Yeah, in the uh, Arise Serpentor Arise five parter, uh, one of the, uh, the DNA samples is, yeah. that that Doctor Mindbender uses for Serpentor is Vlad, Vlad Tepes. Um, because Serpentor is created from the DNA of like all of the like most evil. Military commanders and, yeah, it's and like Alexander the Great, yeah, and, uh, yeah uh, Genghis Khan, right, right. like the most ruthless, I guess. That's I right, say. that's right. Now we know, and knowing is half the battle. Anyway, um, so basically, this thus thus begins the story of the X Men versus versus Dracula. They're trying to get Storm back, and ultimately, it kind of there's a really cool fight that happens uh, in is it Central Park? I think there's a fight yep, that happens in Central Park where Dracula pretty much kicks the X Men's ass. So uh, bad, one by one, um, and then uh, ultimately it's Storm and her affection for Kitty Pride uh, that really sort of like allows Storm to sort of break her or break Dracula's hold over her. And uh, Dracula is is you know even more enamored with the nobility of Storm and her her passion and her you know uh, strong willed nature that he's like oh you know this is this is one that I'll never be able to tame. Basically, and he sort of lets her go. And that's it. That's that's you know, Storm is is uh, they've had this this brush up against Marvel horror that you don't necessarily expect. You wouldn't necessarily expect the X Men to, to have something a little bit unusual for them. Um, it's weird that in an issue where Scott and Alex get to hang out with their space hopping dad, yeah, <laughs> that they didn't know just come back. Who had just yeah. come back. That that that's like again the second or third weirdest yeah. thing that happens in this year. Right? It's really the X Men. It's really the X Men hanging out with or you know fighting Dracula. That's the, you you the were asking thing. about last issue. Last issue is a weird one. Um, yeah, it is. Uh, it's, it's got Carol Danvers and the Star Jammers okay. right. and the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. That's right. That's right. Yeah, um, Mystique's Brotherhood with Rogue as one of the members. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this is. It's been a while since I went back and read Claremont X-Men, and I forgot how good it was. Mm-hmm. It's super strong. Now, this issue, this actual issue, this was one of my earliest comic books. Now, I didn't read it here. I read it in X-Men Classic number 63. Mm-hmm. Which has a gorgeous cover. Gorgeous cover. In fact, if you look in the album art for this episode, you see that cover, because I could not, not use my Neil artwork. Right, but the the interior the Sienkiewicz's interiors are great, but his cover is kind of boring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's it's pretty. It's pretty. I mean, it's still what, what I like about that cover. Even though I do prefer the Magnola classic cover better, 
there is a little bit of like it feels a little transitional. You know, you've got your sort of like uh, pre Moon Knight Bill Sinkevich, yeah, uh, where he was. You know, no, no, this is not a dig by any stretch of the imagination, but where he's very much like a Neil. He's in that Neil Adams vein, mm-hmm. uh, Rich Buckler. He's got you know those guys are all sort of like perfect anatomy, great layouts, you know, all these things. Uh, and then, but, but Bill Sienkiewicz eventually sort of differentiates himself from the pack by kind of making sure he becomes a little more esoteric. He's got this really, you know, so he's like a, I don't know what we call, I mean, I'm not. It's very stylized. It's very stylized, yeah, yeah. Everybody knows what sort of modern, you know, quote unquote modern, I mean like 80s, 90s Bill Sienkiewicz right. looks like. Um, and you do see a little bit of that on this cover, especially with the, the glare coming from Storm's uh, mm-hmm. eyes and uh, the, the, um, the the posture of like Wolverine and those guys and the, even the, the line, angle turned a little bit yeah even the line work with the hatching and stuff is right. not what you'd see in comics at this time yeah yeah it's it's definitely like there's definitely more what we know of as like Bill Sienkiewicz on that cover than I do think that we see in the issues even though the layouts are beautiful yeah yeah um, but yeah so but like there is a scene in this book which has stuck with me through most of my life. And it's a scene where Wolverine tries to ward off... Well, first off, it happens with Kitty Pride. Kitty Pride first, yeah. Kitty Pride. Um, she she realizes that um, Storm is being controlled by a vampire. Mm-hmm. And she comes in in full Van Helsing gear at one point. And she holds up a crucifix to hold up Dracula. And let me find the line for him. Um... Little fool, you have outsmarted yourself. The cross has no power over such as I if the wielder does not believe in it. You are not no Christian, but a Hebrew. First off, at this point in my life, I had no idea what Jewish people were. <laughs> I, you understand, I was a, you know, a kid growing up in the South where everybody I knew was Southern Baptist. So I had no idea what a Jewish person was. I had no idea what the Star of David meant. None of that. And I learned it all from this issue. The other thing that struck me reading it was, <clears throat> I, I if if I could sort of pin them down at a con or something, I would ask which of the creative team was a Stephen King fan, because the the cross not working because there's no faith behind it happens in Salem's Lot, mm, which does. was 1975. Yep, it was uh, a few years before this. Yep, <clears throat> I, I can almost guarantee you it was Claremont, given. Given his write-ups in the magazines that yes. we have reviewed, and we'll probably not review anymore. Sorry, guys, if you like the magazines, but <laughs> I mean, if there's a magazine you really want us to cover, put it in the grab bag. Put it in the grab bag. I think there's some Planet of the Apes we might cover at some point. Yeah, yeah. Because Planet of the Apes, those are fun. Yeah, those so are much fun. fun. Um, here's the real, the real takeaway from this issue. The real question I'm left with is with, from, coming from this issue is who the hell makes Dracula's scarves? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like these these scars with the with the D on them, right? Like that, that make you his. It's like they mark you. It's like where's he getting those? Does he you have know? like one familiar who's really good at needlework? Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, that's a very very elaborate D. Right. And, uh, yeah. Um, you know, we never had those in, in Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> oh yeah, show up there. That is a Christmas. Well, you know what else didn't show up in Tomb of Dracula? His goatee, right? Like, yeah, this is an interesting take. I thought I was. I wanted to like defer to you guys, the experts on this. What's the what's the deal with that? Because I because I think I think we do give him full goatee in yeah because that's uh, what you think in, of in X Men yeah in X Men ninety two yeah uh, and that was the big thing but uh, you know I, I was I've always wondered like 
What was the because Tomb of Dracula is still going right now, right? Yes. The, no, yeah. no, oh, no, eighty-two. Tomb of Dracula had just ended, and as far as the people in the book knew, Dracula was dead. Right. This is the Dracula's first appearance after With dying. No spoilers for your audience. Right. Yeah, after dying, quote unquote, right. at the end of Tomb of Dracula. And in fact, in the end, we'll talk about we we meet Rachel Van Helsing. Right. Yeah. Right. Thinking that who's a who's a you know front and center character at the end of the, the yeah. Tomb of Dracula book, right? right. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and in Tomb of Dracula, he has like the the sort of David Niven mustache, like mm-hmm. the the very thin mustache. Yeah, yeah. Which is you know the I guess the the. Well, what Sienkiewicz does here, and I think it's interesting, uh, they make Dracula sexy. This is true. They, they go for the it, it's more of the Langella Dracula that it has been the Christopher Lee Dracula that we've been seeing in Tomb of Dracula so far. And as much as he's the villain of the issue, I think we are meant to read him as a somewhat romantic figure. Yes. Um, and and the, the the look of his costume in this issue reflects that, and, and I think the, the goatee reflects that. Like... Yeah, like a, like a goatee at this point is a little more modern, a little more like uh, deliberate than 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 a mustache. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. and 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 it, it it's Langella is a good call because yeah. I've always described the 1979 Frank Langella Dracula as like I, I like that version by the way, but it's it's I describe it as the romance novel cover version of Dracula. Sure, yeah, like he. He throws open the window, and the wind blows his hair back, and his shirt is open to the chest, and yeah, you know, it's it, in fact very much like that one page where he he's standing in the window looking at storm. Sure, yeah, and Sienkiewicz definitely does not. I mean, there's not a, and I don't know who's drawing the book at the end of the run. I cannot remember, but you know, obviously Gene Collins, the the, the go to. It's Gene Collins this all stuff. the way through. They're all, all, all the way through. Yeah, I mean, this is not Gene Collins' Dracula. For no, sure. no. I mean, it's sort of you know. Influenced by Gene Colan's Dracula, but it's definitely a, like his eyebrows, his mm-hmm. his his uh, hairline. I mean, it's a very different. I mean, just just the posture. You know, there's no. He's not jumping at anybody. He's not like you know. He's not a Dracula of the shadows. You're right. He's definitely a. It's a Dracula for the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's actually exactly what it is. It's Dracula for the eighties. And you know, there's something to be said for the fact that uh, you know it, it is Storm that is his that is his uh, that he goes after because yeah. you know she's this she's this this. You know, statuesque. She's beautiful. She's all these things uh, that you know. She's she's strong. She's a goddess in her own right. Mm-hmm. You know, she's kind of the the perfect you know mate for Dracula, for lack of better words. Uh, but it turns out to be uh, a, a pretty formidable uh, uh, opponent. And you were talking about that before we start recording. This I commented that I thought the X Men of this era seems very much like the Kitty Pride show. And you countered that um, that you think Claremont had a very clear affinity for Storm. Yeah, I mean, I think he writes all the characters very well. Yes, uh, but I but I do think that pairing of Kitty Pride and Storm, with Storm being sort of like the big sister, the mother role for for Kitty Pride, is a big part of of all of this entire era. Uh, and all of them take different roles. You know, Wolverine sort of takes like a, a big brother, almost fatherly role at times. Uh, Kurt's like a, a definitely like a big brother kind of thing. Um, Colossus is obviously the object of her affection in, in so many ways, but Storm really, really is. I mean, you know, you think about it like you know uh, she she's she's really the only character of color on the team. Mm-hmm. You know, she has recently uh, 
taken leadership role or one leadership role from Cyclops at this point, right? So she's clearly a character that he is moving to the forefront of this book and making her the focus. And, and you joked about it, but this issue very deliberately sidelines Cyclops so that the focus is on her and her relationship to the team. That's right, yeah. He is not within the continental United because, States, actually. Right, because if he was there, it would he would totally just take charge right. in, yeah. in that fight. Right. Yeah, the X-Men don't beat Dracula in this issue. Storm beat Dracula. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you talk about that. Um, what I was referring to earlier, there is a page here where Wolverine tries to do the cross with a single pop claw in each hand. Yep. And he he does the cross there, and Dracula says... He um, sort of does it Peter Cushing style, like the... the Ad hoc cross. <laughs> yeah. As I told the child, that boy is useless unless you truly believe. And that's when Nightcrawler pops up with just right. two sticks. Right. Yeah. And it's like, in that case, Vampire, your, your cause is lost, for I believe. What a great moment. It's yeah. a fantastic moment. Yeah, what a great moment. And, and it shows so much understanding of the psychology of all of those characters all at once. Yeah, it, well, it's, it's really shorthand. I mean, like, we talk about characterization in the Claremont era, and that's really the, the benefit, because you, you feel like these are real characters, you love them, you come back to them, you, you expect them to act a certain way because he's built this into them, and, and everybody kind of hits their role. You know, everybody kind of does exactly what you... Like, I guess they maybe weren't... I, they, weren't they were becoming icons, right? Yeah. And so you really see it happening in, in real time as you're reading this. You say that, and this is actually... I looked this up... This is actually the first time Nightcrawler's Christian faith is ever mentioned. I was gonna wonder. I was wondering the same thing when I read it. And of because course, up to this point, his like if if his characterization comes up at all, it's circus performer. Yep. It's, it's or the romantic. Right. Well, the and then, that's right. And then uh, then we get uh, I don't know. God loves man kills comes out in eighty. Five? Oh. Six? I can't remember the, the they're already laying groundwork th- for that. yeah that becomes such a big part of, right. a, of his character really right here and, it, and you know you wonder you try to like reverse engineer this stuff in your brain you're like oh is this where he decided right. that's where it is you know and you know so, so much of what we know about these comics is is all sort of apocryphal or stuff we've heard through rumor and that kind of thing you know or stories that get told and retold or and become legend that, at conventions. That's right, exactly. And so you wonder, you know, is this a moment? You know, what, what's the plot for this issue looks like? Because I'm sure Claremont worked. Claremont, I believe, worked in a very like uh, a little bit. You know, if you, if you know the term Marvel style, yeah. where it's a plot first. You give the artist the plot. The artist basically turns that into the issue. Then it comes back to the writer or the plot. Uh, you know, or the editor, or whoever, and and then the writer goes in and they sort of script it from there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do sort of wonder sometimes where this stuff comes from. What was the description of that page? Uh, Claremont was 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 definitely kind of someone who who think did a little bit of both. His scripts, even the the Marvel plot style scripts, are a little more in depth than maybe just your standard sort of like later era Stan Lee scripts. But sure, um, I do. I'd love to be able to look at this. You know all the pieces of it. Yeah, because yeah. uh, you know we we talked about Sinkevich earlier. Sinkevich is clearly having a really good time with this too. Yeah, um, you know he he does a lot of things. I mean, whenever Storm's on the page, he really is like you know she's uh, he 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 really treats her character. Uh, I think really well. People give you know people are all like oh Claremont Byrne, Claremont Byrne, Claremont Byrne. It's like this golden age of this book. But this is like what, like ten issues, twenty issues after Burns left the book. Something yeah, Cockrum's like the Cockrum's back as the regular artist, I believe, at this point. I think so. And then, um, and you know, Sienkiewicz is listed on this one as, as guest penciler. Right, he's sort of a fill-in. Mm-hmm. And this is really strong stuff. Yeah, yeah. It is. And we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk a bit about this because you know uh, we're gonna talk a lot 
more X-Men than we've previously done, previously done on the show, at some point next year, we're going to try to talk about Inferno. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is... Which, that will probably be a multi-episode. Yeah, that's going to be... Inferno is huge. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and admit, the only issue of Inferno I think I have ever read is the Daredevil tie-in. I was going to say, please bring me back to the Daredevil <laughs> episode. <laughs> because... Because uh, that, that's where I... That's one Because of that is Anne Nascenti's first issue. Yeah. Beer with the Devil, was that the one? Yeah, I think yeah. so. The only um, issue of Inferno I've ever read is the Excalibur stuff, because I was reading through Excalibur. But, oh, yeah. yeah. I think it's the first Anne Nascenti, John Romita Jr. issue. Uh, that, that's probably true. Yeah, the, the first with that creative that. But yeah, but you're wow. right. I mean, that one really stands out. That, that's sort of and the beginning there's a second of... Inferno issue where he fights a vacuum cleaner, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that sounds like a good stopping point, actually. Um, <laughs> Daredevil fights a vacuum cleaner. Cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> Can't top that. <laughs> Nothing in this issue tops that's that. It. <laughs> Uh, we're going to go to another quick break, and we'll be right back with X-Men Annual number six, right after these messages. Where am I? In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Who are you? I am Andrew Leyland, and for over 200 episodes, I have covered everything genre-related, from the obvious things that everyone talks about, Star Trek, to deep dives into the early issues of The Amazing Spider-Man, via the obscure such as ITC's experimental science fiction dramas The Champions or Department S. It's very cosmopolitan. You never know who you meet next. In the Palace of Glittering Delights. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Available from Two True Freaks and via your podcatcher of choice. The weapons of tomorrow on the streets today. One man must stand up for justice. We make our own kind of weapon to take out the ones in the streets. To stop the enemy without hurting them. With a heart of gold, a will of iron. It's hammer time. And a body of steel. Where'd he go? The Batcave. Shaquille O'Neal. Steel. Welcome back to Tomb of Ideas. Our next issue for this episode is X-Men Annual Volume 1, Number 6. Our creative team is writer Chris Claremont, penciler Bill Sienkiewicz, inker Bob... What did we agree on for that? Wyacek. Wyacek. Bob Wyacek, colorist Glennis Ween, letterer Tom Orzachowski, and the editor Luis Jones, um, who we all now know as Luis Simonson. Same team. Same team. This is, a, this is a full-on sequel. Full sequel. Yeah. I and actually didn't know that. I didn't realize that. Oh, did that was Louis Simons? I didn't read that connection. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh, I'm an idiot. Yep. Um, <laughs> early work as an X-Men editor. Yeah. Before she's writing uh, the other two titles. Right. <laughs> uh, before I get into speaking of, uh, at uh, Heroes Con this past summer, I went to a panel that was Claremont and Simonson together. It was a lot of fun, and you you had her sign Steel, the the movie adaptation of Steel. You yes. had her sign Steel, <laughs> which she wrote. Created <laughs> the character, yes. She created Johnny Ryan. You know what? I'm putting the trailer for Steel in this episode, <laughs> and people are gonna be like, "What the fuck are you playing?" Put the trailer for Steel in. Okay, okay, uh, okay. So uh, this issue is Blood Feud. Rachel Van Helsing has relocated to the United States and is teaching at Bard College. And spoilers for Tomb of Dracula. I know we didn't finish the title yet, but uh, her relationship with Frank Drake has ended. We knew that was going to happen. <laughs> it was a matter of time. Yeah. Um, 
Rachel Van Helsing uh, has ended her relationship with Frank Drake, relocated to the United States. She is teaching at Bard College. Uh, one day, she gets home, and Dracula is waiting for her, because he is still angry at her because of the entirety of the run of Tomb of Dracula. <laughs> um, meanwhile, at the X-Mansion, Kitty Pride is very upset because her parents are getting divorced. Um, and she takes this news very, very badly. Um, the other X-Men, mostly Storm, try to calm her down. She does not calm down. Um, she uh, takes out her frustration on a photo of her parents. Um, and something weird seems to be going on in that panel as she screams. Um, when Storm checks on her later, Kitty is caught off guard. Uh, and Storm very suddenly has fangs. Um, drawn by the pull of her, her vampirism, Storm changes into her costume and flies away. Um, and does not realize that Kitty was pretending to be asleep and saw all this happen. Meanwhile, Kitty seems to use some sort of hypnosis on Colossus. Uh, despite his trying to, to uh, resist. Sometime later, Storm arrives at Dracula's castle in England. There she is greeted by Rachel Van Helsing, whom Dracula has made into a vampire. Oh, poor Rachel. Dracula Dracula enters and demonstrates that he still has control over Storm since biting her in the issue that we just discussed. That he never fully relinquished that control, he just backed off. Um, So he can still use his link to force her to do his bidding. Um... Dracula leaves to feed, but promises that he has plans for her. When he returns, he he orders her to do a task for him, which she agrees to as long as no one is harmed and the X-Men are not involved. Dracula agrees to this and tells her to collect a very specific book that has a spell capable of destroying him. It's the goddamn dark old. Yes, it's the dark old. It's the... Oh, uh, continue, please. Or, because what he's trying to destroy is the Montessi formula. Yeah. More about that later. Right. Well, we've talked about it before. Yeah. It came up in one of the magazines. Uh, Okay, that's what I was going to ask you guys. Is this the first appearance or the first mentioning of the Montessi? But no, it sounds like it's It's, not. In in one of the magazines, there's there's a story that's set in Italy. And Dracula goes into a cathedral or something, into its archives. No, he breaks into the Vatican. Well, they talk about this in the story. Yeah. Yeah. They talk about him walking into the Vatican. Yeah, all of that was in one of the magazines. So that's a reference to that story. Yes. Which I think Claremont wrote, if not that story, he was a writer in that magazine issue. Yeah, that was right when Claremont was getting his start. That was when he was was doing prose stuff for the magazines. Yeah, he was magazine boy for a while. Yeah. Dracula and Rachel Van Helsing take Storm to a castle uh, in the town of Pendero, uh, and he tells her to enter holy ground that he cannot uh, go near. So Storm searches the castle looking for the book, um, where she is shot with a crossbow by Kitty. Um, She uh, uses her powers to blow Kitty away with a gust of wind, um, and at that point, Colossus attacks under Kitty's control. He knocks her down. Kitty recovers the spell book, which she announces has the Montessi formula, which we just discussed. Yeah. A powerful spell that can destroy all vampires, including Dracula. Um, Storm attempts to go after Kitty, um, is forced, uh, but is forced to jump out a window um, because she realizes that Kitty is willing to kill her in order to hold on to the book. Uh, Dracula saves Storm and flies away with her. 
Storm then has a nightmare about being in Egypt with her parents, uh, and they are attacked in an air raid, is the source of her claustrophobia. And Storm wakes up in a coffin, which of course would trigger claustrophobia. Also, just being freaked out because you're in a coffin. That too. Like, even if yes, you don't have that would right? be very upsetting no matter what. <laughs> um, Storm breaks free and attacks Dracula in anger. And Dracula gets fed up with Storm uh, and intends to kill her, which is a very drastic change from the last issue. Uh, but Cyclops, Wolverine, and Nightcrawler arrive. Those three X-Men battle Dracula and Rachel Van Helsing. Um, and Kitty arrives with Colossus, which causes Dracula to run away. Kitty and Colossus chase after him, with the other X-Men not far behind. But Wolverine and the others get to Dracula first. The uh, Dracula bites Wolverine, uh, putting him under uh, Dracula's control and causing Wolverine to turn on his friends. Kitty and Colossus arrive. Uh, Kitty begins reading the Montessi formula, which starts to weaken Dracula. Um, Nightcrawler doesn't want anyone to die, so he swats the book out of her hand and she attacks him. Dracula then reveals the twist. Kitty is not behaving of her own volition. She has been possessed by Lilith, the daughter of Dracula. With the truth exposed, Lilith changes Kitty's form to match her own and commands the X-Men to kill Dracula. Before the X-Men can follow that instruction, Rachel impales Dracula through the heart with a spear and using a crucifix causes his body to reduce down to a skeleton. Dracula is dead, the castle begins to crumble around them, the X-Men and Rachel Van Helsing escape, the battle is over, the sun is rising, and Rachel, still a vampire, begs to be put out of her misery. And the only member of the X-Men willing to do it is Wolverine, who performs the mercy kill by impaling her with a stake. Lilith then reveals that she is still controlling Kitty, and explains that she fulfilled her mission by destroying her father, and then she... Uh, relinquishes control of Kitty. As she leaves, Lilith explains to Storm that her father's death has also released her from any hold that, that he had over her. So Storm is free, Kitty is free, the X-Men try to figure out what to make of all of this, and Wolverine asks Storm how Kitty's doing, and Storm says that she seems to be getting over the fact that her parents are divorcing. <laughs> You know, th th that sounded very complicated. It is an angle, so it is very dense. It's a longer issue, yeah. But that is almost damn near a perfect sequel I've ever seen in comics. Yeah, I mean, so, again, I think Dracula being willing to kill Storm is a little bit of a shift from the last issue. But other than that, I have no complaints. Yeah, and... It just it, it seems like he, he realizes she's more trouble than she's worth at this point. At first, in the last previous issue, he seemed like, oh, I find your resistance to me intriguing and, and interesting. And this issue, he's kind of like, you know what? I'm I'm done with this. Well, he needs her for something. Right. Time. You know but, what I mean? Like, yeah. So th there are two sides to Dracula that we've seen even in Tomb of Dracula. And it's, there is the romantic, charismatic, I used to be a nobleman kind yeah. of thing. And there's also the selfish, I'm in it for power and self-preservation at all costs. And, and, and these two issues sort of flip that dynamic. Yeah. Like, we, we go from one duality to the other. Yeah, the, the, the idea of this being not, not necessarily a storm as a vampire, but a storm as a thief mm -hmm. story is, is, is really what I like about it a lot. Yeah. Um, 
because again, reminds you who she is. They're really, you know, between these two issues, like if there was a greatest storm stories ever told uh, collection, right? This would definitely be these two stories would definitely be in there. Yeah, because uh, they really are kind of like big, big moments for Storm, and they really give you everything you need to know about Storm. I did feel like the Cairo thing, the flashback, was a little bit weird mm. and a little bit shoehorned in, obviously, because again, like I mentioned earlier, as if being in a coffin, uh, waking up in a coffin alone isn't freaky enough. Now you're Storm, and you've got this kind of you know, claustrophobia thing, but. Um, but it was nice. It was nice to remind you of who Storm is and where she's come from and, and sort of, you know, uh, what makes her who she is, too. But that felt a little like filler. I, I, I do wonder if, oh, wait, this is an annual. We need two more pages. Yeah, yeah, that, that <laughs> felt a little like filler to me. Um, like, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the, the, the series Mutant X. Where Havoc the goes into the alternate timeline. Where, she, where, she's, where she's a vampire? Where Storm, yeah. like Bloodstorm? And they, they established that she just got over her claustrophobia. And I'm just like... That's not how claustrophobia works, <laughs> and you can't you can't say the vampirism got rid of it because here she still has it yeah. even if she has vampire powers. Yeah, yeah. but it, we'll talk more about you next later because man, that's a weird series. Yeah, between Bloodstorm and the Fallen, there are plenty of reasons to talk about mutant next on this show. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, there's 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 a lot of good stuff in this issue. Uh, the the it. it you know, you think Storm has killed the X Men at one point in the yeah. issue. You yeah. know, you think she's you think she's you know, you know killed everybody, um, and then you get uh, Storm flying three thousand miles <laughs> at one point, <laughs> which you know it's a lot. Um, I don't ever think about Storm as being like that kind of uh, that kind of power level, but you know right. they like to remind you that she's you know. Yeah, and I do like the design of like bat creature Storm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, also comes back in the what if. Yep. Um, but but yeah, I mean it's a really it's a really good issue, and uh, again, Sinkevich really excels as a storyteller here. There's that one panel where Storm like gets out of the coffin and checks her, uh, uses her tongue to check her teeth to see if she's got uh, fangs still. It's mm-hmm. a really yep. close up. Right it's like that's a very like you know for for from you know that's a very good panel, and it's it's a lot. Um, and Sinkevich almost seems like a different artist here from the previous issue. This is closer to what he would evolve into. Certainly that cover again uh, the, is, yeah. is definitely doing it. And his Wolverine. And yeah. and we talked about it during the break, but that one panel uh, where Kitty is so angry about her parents mm-hmm. uh, looks like something out of later in the 80s, yeah. Sinkevich. Yeah, where she gets possessed by uh, Yeah, gets possessed by you've Lola. got this sort of aura around her, but the aura also kind of looks like... Um, it, it's sort of like if you look at a th- uh, a 3D picture without mm-hmm. the glasses on, and mm-hmm. things are a little bit offset. And I think the, the the interpretation you guys reached then was that this is the point where Lilith inhabits her, seems possesses to her. And if there's any weak point about this issue, I think it is the Lilith stuff. So I would say we know the least about Lilith at this point, just as readers, because we didn't get very far into that stuff in the run of Tomb of Dracula. Yeah. But it does feel like maybe because it's an annual, there's there's one subplot too many. You know, not again, not being as well versed in the Tomb of Dracula stuff as you guys. Obviously, I've read a lot of it, but I've never finished it. Um, 
it feels like the first one is just to sort of like, hey, I really, from Chris Claremont's standpoint, mm-hmm. you know, who who is edited, who edited that book? Roy Thomas for a long time, right? Which uh, one? The, uh, the Tomb of Dracula. Tomb of Dracula, Roy Thomas. Right. Yeah. yeah. Was he editing it by the end? Uh, oh, no. By the end. Because he'd have been at DC, I think. Probably so. Oh, in the early was it, 80s. Was it Don? That wasn't Giordano. though. I'm not sure who was, who was editing it at the time, but, you know, it's one of those things where um, my first thought was, was Louis Simonson editing it? Because right. it, it, it almost feels like not an editorial mandate book. The first one doesn't feel like an editorial mandate book. Uh, the first one feels like, hey, I really like the Tomb of Dracula book. Right. Let's play with Dracula right. a little bit. In the this end. one is, let's tie up some loose ends. This one feels like it's tying up story uh, beats that are left over right. from, from the previous book. Because like you said, you got Rachel Van Helsing in here. Mm-hmm. You've got Montessi stuff in here. You've got Dracula being a little bit different than he was and a little bit mo- motivated differently. Behaving more like a Tomb of Dracula. So, so really, yeah, you've got you know four big pieces. You've got Lilith, you've got Rachel, you've got Dracula, the Montessi formula. Uh, and... and so it, this one feels a little bit more like, hey, what about these story arcs that didn't right. close out? Right. Um, again, it's a really good issue. Uh, it's a really good issue. It just feels like a, a little more like a deliberate um, issue than that first one. The first one felt like it was fun. Hey, let's see the X-Men do something, run up against somebody they've never right. run up against before. Not to use that C word, but but uh, this one feels very invested in... Um, Establishing continuity mm-hmm. with the other title, yeah, yeah. With, with the Tomb of Dracula title. How how far? Between, I'm sorry, I mean, you... to answer your previous question, um, editors on that final issue of Tomb of Dracula, which was um, August 1979, would be Mark Marv Wolfman and Jim Shooter. Jim Shooter is consulting editor, but eventually he drives Wolfman out, mm-hmm. and he becomes the main editor. But more on that at some point, maybe. Yeah. So so what what. Is the time between and I you, you mentioned it earlier, Trey, when you gave the dates for this book three years, three years between these issues, which is wild because I got to tell you, reading it last night back to back, it does not feel like there's three issues between these uh, three years between these stories. Oh, I thought you were talking about the end of Tomb of Dracula. Oh no, no, oh, this, oh, this, this story and that. that no, this is this is a few months. A few months. Oh, okay, yeah. good, yeah, because this does not feel like yeah. a team. Three years. No, no, no. This is you know, July I, to what. Uh, July to whenever the heck it is, angles come out. Right. I was going to say that 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 makes more or sense. April, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. like I was really shocked years. when you said three years, but I mean, who knows? Comics are weird. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like we talked, the first issue here feels like a really good horror film, mm-hmm. and the second part feels like a maybe not as good, but still very enjoyable horrible horror sequel. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about the Halloween films in their break. And, you know, it kind of feels like you've got the John Carpenter Halloween in the first issue, and then you've got, I don't know, we want to say Halloween 2 in the second one. Still good, just maybe not as good. Yeah, yeah. And a a different flavor. Oh, yeah. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the person that definitely starts getting, again, no surprise, this is like 1980, what time? 82, 82, 83, right? So, I mean, guess who's starting to get more screen time Wolverine. all the time, right? Wolverine is a much bigger player in this issue than he was previously. Uh, I mean, he was, again, we're talking about 22 pages versus, what, I don't know, 48 here? Sure. But uh, he definitely is a big deal. Right. Uh, also, they remind you a lot in this issue that he has no, well, not, maybe not no qualms, but he is the killer on the team. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, when Dracula turns to a skeleton, Wolverine's like, okay, I'm going to cut that skeleton's head off. <laughs> 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 Just to make sure. And um, and when the castle's sinking, they're all rushing out. Wolverine's like, uh, can, can, "You guys sure I can't cut the head off that skeleton?" It's like I was like, "You gotta get the hell out of here, man!" <laughs> and then when Rachel has to go, right? He's the yeah. he's the first one that steps up. He's like, "No, no, no, I'll kill her." 
Like, you know, uh, this this uh, this issue was spoiled for me at one point when we were recovering to Dracula. I saw this page with Rachel being killed here, and I was really upset. Because I thought, man, what a terrible thing to have with such a good character, a mm-hmm. strong female character. But the way they pull it off here, it's good. Well, that's why I was wondering editorially who was who was in charge of that character, pro- you know, who was partly in charge of that character previous to this, because that does feel like a moment really in there for Tomb of Dracula fans. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, with, with, with Lilith and her and all these pieces. But I think Claremont having some connection to the Dracula stuff through the magazines, mm-hmm. maybe, I, I would imagine he was at least somewhat in conversation with the creative team on that book, of course, yeah, because he was doing the magazine. Yeah, and you'll be shocked. Of course, this is that this is the point where Wolfman's gone over to DC and is now doing New Teen Titans. Yes, but um, you'll be shocked to realize that Rachel and Helsing has never been brought back. Yeah, hmm. yeah. Like I, th- I thought for sure I was going. I looked at the Wikipedia after reading this issue. I thought for sure she has to have been brought back, but she has never been brought back. This no. is her death. That's it. It's. You talk about sort of the the who stays dead in comics. The, the secret answer is Rachel Van Helsing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, almost as near perfect of a sequel as I can imagine for a comic. Uh, and we're gonna take a quick break here, and then we're gonna talk about a book who maybe isn't as perfect. <laughs> right. But you you talk about a, a character becoming prominent and by the time they get to the what if version of this story, it's not what if Storm stays a vampire. No. It, it, it's what if Wolverine was Lord of the Vampires. And we'll find out right after these messages. Imagine a podcast that celebrates the things we love. Why spend time being so angry and cynical about our fandoms? Join me, the Irredeemable Shag, for a show where we're just trying to be happy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Our discussions focus on a variety of geeky subjects that we're passionate about. While the topics will be ever-changing, our focus will be on science fiction, comic books, what it means to be a geek in this world, and other nostalgia-fueled ideas. Life is short. Focus on the positive. Find your joy. The Once Upon a Geek Podcast. Part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I got claws. I can use them. Who said that? Mutants must rule. Did you see that? Optics blast fire. They all said that. They all talk. Introducing Marvel, talking superheroes, and X Men. This is my. Three separate voice sound activators let you control what they say. Die, Spider-Man. And do. I want to eat your brain. Spider-Sense tingling. Marvel talking superheroes and X-Men. Each sold separately from Toy Biz. Welcome back, Tomb Believers. Our last issue for this episode is What If Volume 2, Number 24. Cover date on this one is April 1991. Our title, What If Wolverine Had Become... Lord of the Vampires. Writers are Roy Thomas and RGM. How did you say it earlier, Officer? I've said Jean Marc Lefoucier. Lefoucier? Okay, Lefoucier. That makes sense. It's French. Of course I can't say it. Artist is Tom Morgan. Inker is Tom Morgan. Letterer is Janice Chang. Uh, Colorist is Tom Vincent. Editor is Craig Anderson. Our story diverges from Uncanny X Men 159. Where instead of touching uh, and recovering 
Storm's soul through her empathy, uh, Kitty fails to bring uh, Storm back to her senses, and Storm uh, ends up aiding Dracula in defeating the X-Men. The X-Men are then raised, uh, what is it, three days later? As um, thralls of Dracula, as the undead, as vampires. It is at that point, though, that Wolverine decides he's thrall to no one, and he challenges Dracula to a fight. After some rather improbable shape-shifting, Wolverine makes fairly quick work of the Lord of Vampires, decapitating him and claiming the title of Lord of the Vampires. Now Lord Wolverine takes the X-Men on a rampage through the Marvel Universe, converting many first mutants to the vampiric cause, but then of course later um, are homo sapien superheroes as well. Um, One of the first targets they actually take out, realizing he is a threat, is of course Dr. Stephen Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, who they take out in a rather brutal panel (laughs) featuring a juggernaut just ramming him full speed from behind, shattering his back. It, it, it is honestly one of my favorite scenes ever with Juggernaut, and of course it's in a what if. <laughs> well, technically one of the technically one of the uh, first first humans, that they, or is that what you said, first humans that they take out? Yes. Well, okay, Juggernaut's okay. the first human they take out. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. The the X Men films have led me astray. <laughs> well, no, no, no. It's 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 just interesting that like they've gotten. I, I, well, we'll talk about this when we get into the issue. But they've gotten this far, and Doctor Strange is like behind the eight ball. You know right, what I mean? Right. Like he's like, this is his thing. How did this many mutants get turned into vampires? But anyway, go ahead. like J. Jonah Jameson knows what's going exactly, on. exactly. Yeah, and, and Stephen Strange apparently does not. <laughs> yep. I didn't mean to get you off. Sorry. Uh, he's 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 uh, getting beaten up by the Juggernaut. Yeah. So. Um, Stephen Strange is dead, so of course he goes and possesses the body of Frank Castle, the Punisher. <laughs> if you need any reminders, this book was written in 1991. <laughs> and um, now donning Stephen Strange's cape, which is just... <laughs> um, uh, Frank Castle tries to infiltrate a Sanctum Santorum to recover... The Darkhold, which we just talked about earlier, so he can read the again read the Latin, say the Latin for me, please. The Montesi formula. Thank you very much, and um, rid the world of vampires. Um, of course, things do not go as planned when Wolverine steps in himself after Castle takes out various ex-vampires. Um, title drop here. Ah, ah, he said it. He said it. <laughs> That's the call. Yeah, and and of course. Um, it is when Frank Castle beheads vampire Kitty Pride that Wolverine is brought to his senses after killing Frank Castle, of course. And he and Stephen Strange read the Montessi formula and rid the world of the ex-vampires. And, of course, Wolverine himself. I don't know how much of a fan you are of What If, uh, but I love What If. Oh, me too. Yeah, I, I, it, it was... Um, again, we talked about this a little before the, the show started, like, or before we started recording. It was one of the books that I was really into when I was a kid, um, because I was not... I, I had a tough time finding classic X-Men. I had a tough time finding Marvel Tales. I had a tough time finding what we consider to be, like, you know, like, classic reprint books now, right? 
And that's how I found out about the Marvel Universe. Seeing how things played out that shouldn't is how I learned about the way things were. You know? Yeah. Because the Watcher always tells you what really happened. That's right. That's yep. right. Yeah. So, like, in, in, in the same way that the Marvel trading card subsets at the later end of the, 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 you know, the sets would tell me stuff that I didn't ever have any hope of owning. Uh, yeah. there's, there's Silver Age books, which, of course, you know, now we have reprints galore. But, yeah. Um, so yeah, what if for me was a was a very very beloved book when I was a kid. I actually didn't read much, if any, what if as a kid, um, which is weird because it would have been right up my alley for pretty much the same reason. Mm-hmm. But I was super into Elseworlds mm-hmm. um, because they were one shots, yeah. maybe two issues at most. Yeah, and when there might be months between trips to a comic shop, you you hold on to those single issues that tell a whole story. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. I read this comic, th- this this comic. So many times when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and of the three comics that we're talking about today, it's the one that I'm probably the most excited to talk about. Okay, uh, simply because like I've got a lot of love for this comic. I I pretty much have it memorized, uh, and, and uh, although I did recently sell it, as I was telling Trey earlier, uh, it was just one of those things where you know, as a kid, that that whole this particular year or so of what if uh, was a big was a big book for me when I was a kid. Um, you know, I think this might be the first "What If" title to get its own "What If," because there's actually a sequel to this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Uh, uh, what is uh, oh, uh, what if Wolverine had been Lord of Vampires during Inferno? Inferno, yeah. yeah. Where the events of this issue, not right. the main six one six storyline, right. go differently, right? And Castle and Strange fail. Right, yeah. and so he remains Lord of the Vampires and Inferno. And Inferno. Yes, that's not a time quick, is it? It is time. It's quick. It is a time quick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh God, okay. I love time quick. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're we're spoilers, but it's on the list. <laughs> it's on the list. Well, okay, so a couple of things about this one, right? Uh, Roy Thomas, who I knew at the time as the writer of Doctor Strange and the writer of West Coast mm-hmm. Avengers, I believe. Right. In fact, I think he wrote the Doctor Strange issue they referenced. That's right. The Montesi. That's, that's exactly. Uh, yeah. Well. Yes, he's. I think he it's is. Volume two. It's volume two. It's yeah. him. I think it's a him and a, a Jackson Geis issue. Okay. That gets referenced. Um, which part of the reason I'm assuming you guys have me on the show is because we did the Doctor Strange or we did the the, the vampire stuff in X Men ninety two. Yes. Which yes. you mentioned earlier that you have not read X Men ninety two, and I can I, forgive by shame. I can forgive that. It's by shame. But I don't know if you know, but I'll tell you what happens in X Men ninety two. I, actually, I'm going to put la 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 la. <laughs> Do you not want to hear this at all? It, no, no, it's because it, I will hold off. No, go ahead. But it does. It does. Uh, I mean, so much of it is directly not not directly lifted, but certainly inspired by the comics that I was reading. Because as I said earlier, I did not read those X Men books when I was was a kid. It was years later that I read the read the Claremont run. Um, so what I had to go off of was the the Roy Thomas uh, uh, Doctor Strange books. And, and really this, and little spots and where it mentions things like uh, the, the, the Montesi formula and the Darkhold. Darkhold, of course, was a Midnight Suns book that was, mm-hmm. that was out. So what happens in, um, in X-Men 92 is uh, we, the first thing we see happen is Maverick shows up at the X-Mansion. He's being chased by the Soviet super soldiers. Maverick has stolen uh, a disc from the Soviet super soldiers who are now led by Omega Red. Uh, he shows up at the X-Mansion asking for uh, asylum, basically, to help him. And to basically the X-Men... Uh, Versus the Soviet super soldiers to kind of protect Maverick. What we don't know is this, that Maverick is actually secretly working for uh, Alpha Red, the predecessor to Omega Red, who is also the son of Dracula, which is a big reveal. Uh, oh. So uh, what what Maverick has is a down a CD-ROM of the Darkhold. 
which he that is the most '90s thing possible. Good job, sir. Which, which he uses to infect Cerebro, uh, and then he you, then uh, Alpha Red uses Cerebro and the magic of the Darkhold to rewrite the DNA of vampires. So there's no uh, basically there's no uh, you know uh, they're not allergic to sunlight. They don't have any not allergic to you know, religious iconography like or anything like that. They're basically play. Yeah, basically they walk. And uh, anyway, the big twist at the end of, of the book is that uh, obviously no one can use the Darkhold uh, uh, because it burns you out, right? Yeah. So one of the things that we've done in X-92 is we sort of like put the ecstatics characters in there. So the Beast sends Dead Girl uh, into the Cerebro virtual reality simulator where she, uh, in an 8-bit world, confronts uh, the, the avatar of the Darkhold which I believe is called the dwarf. I believe is what he's called the the little guy with the tuxedo from the from the book. I can't remember what, he, but I think that's what he's called. Which you know, who knows what he should be called? But anyway, that's what he was referred to at the time. Uh, but he shows up as uh, an almost clippy like uh, version of, of software <laughs> interface that guides her to use the Montessi formula through Cerebro to eliminate vampires. Uh, all that because I read two or three issues of Marvel when I was a kid and really loved the idea of there being a CD-ROM of, of the Dark Hole. So all that to say, I absolutely loved this particular lore, uh, the Doctor Strange side of it, the vampire side of it, all that stuff. And this is where I probably learned about that for the very first time by uh, this book. I'm just putting X-Men 92 on the list. <laughs> it's really fun. I, I, you know, spoilers for anybody who hasn't read it. Right. Uh, you can right. skip ahead five minutes and you'll be fine. But, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of fun. But, again, directly inspired by certainly the Montessi stuff. Yeah. Um, honestly, that second volume of Doctor Strange is something we should probably... Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it feeds directly into Midnight Suns. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 it, and it is a horror book in a lot of ways. Yeah. It really is but, much more of a... Brother Voodoo uh, shows up, I think, that's a right, yeah. times... But, like, this what if is, like, so 90s. Because, remember, it, it's taking off of events that happened in the 80s. Yep. But, of course, it's written in the 90s. So, of course, instead of, you know, like you, like you said, instead of what if Stormwind made a vampire, it's now what if Wolverine had become Lord of Vampires. Because right. Wolverine Mania had taken the Marvel Universe by storm at this point. Yes. Uh, and, no pun intended there. <laughs> and... Like, I love that. I love that design. That design's so good. Like, Some, I love the skull belt buckle and the case. Somebody has done a variant of that where, like, the whole color scheme is black and red, mm-hmm. and it's so good. Yeah. Uh, I will I will post that. Um, for, for the listeners, I'm looking at a, a panel of full Lord of the Vampires Wolverine with his cape blowing in the wind, and he has this cool skull on his belt, and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dueling capes between him and Frank Castle. Yeah. <laughs> And speaking of Frank Castle, another character that, like, if this story happened directly after in the 80s, no one would have talked about. Right. Because Castle really wasn't a thing. Frank Castle, I refuse to call him Punisher because, gosh damn it, I hate people who've gone off the dead logo and made him a whole icon for the worst people in the world. Well, I mean, he and Wolverine are clearly the two biggest... You know. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> characters in Marvel right now are certainly the, the biggest early 90s characters. I mean, we haven't really had the, you know... Um, you know, we're, we're getting to the place where, uh, you know, uh, 
Cable and, and, and those characters are really about to have their big moment. And they've, yeah. they've kind of come out. We know who they are. But really, this is the, the moment where Wolverine is the powerhouse. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, and you put Wolverine's name on anything. Uh, also, and the Punisher. So on the cover, you've got Wolverine and the Punisher. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, uh, the, probably, again, two of, the, two of the biggest selling titles at Marvel at the time. Oddly enough, they were really hard to make this book feel. And again, this is the C word we were talking about a minute ago. I don't want to. I don't want to talk too much about continuity. But you know, you've got an interesting thing here where you've got uh, you know Jean Grey in her Phoenix outfit yeah. on the cover with a very '90s headband Punisher yeah. uh, and a brown costume Wolverine. Jean Grey, who never makes an appearance in this issue, right? Um, but uh, you know, the, there are. I want to talk about the artist real quick, Tom Morgan. Uh, as a as a kid, he was a I was a huge fan of this guy, and I think he does a really good job um, with this story. Uh, he pulls a lot of cool references, but you know, he's a guy who was clearly drawing the heroes as they are at the time. That panel is um, great. Oh yeah, it's really good. The, and, when he raises the expert for the dead, that panel is great. Well, and you know, if, you, if you're reading the 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 David McElhenney, Todd McFarlane Spider Man at the time. These characters are very much on model for what they looked like at the time, especially Wolverine. You look at Wolverine, you know, and the way that Kelly Jones sort of like accentuated the bat ears yeah. and made them get bigger and bigger. You know, Spider-Man's eyes got bigger. Wolverine's uh, mask flare yep. got got bigger and bigger. Um, there, there's there's even a there's even a, a really direct lift from a panel in here that I thought was really cool too. Um, but uh, all in all, this book feels very nineties. Yes. Uh, and, and, and it's interesting that it pivots off of a story that was done, you know, 10, 10 years earlier. Well, um, and, and you talk about the sort of balancing the contemporary look with story elements from the past. The fight between Wolverine and Dracula reminds me a lot of a story from Dracula Lives where there's a uh, one of the scenes set in the early days of Dracula has Dracula fighting the then Lord of the Vampires for the title. You're right. And they transform during the fight. See, you keep on saying for the title. I think it's for the title belt. And uh, like, <laughs> for the title of Lord of the Vampires. Yeah, no, I'm just like, but, in this corner. Because that's you see, uh, in, in that one, Dracula still doesn't fully know how to use all of his powers yet, because he's just turned. But he also refuses to swear loyalty to another lord. And and so he fights for the, the, uh, the right to rule the vampires. Although there, and you know that we talk about this being very nineties, there is a point here that's very clearly rooted in the eighties, and it's a point in the book where it almost goes to parody, <laughs> where um, the generals are advising the president here of what's going on with the vampires in New York, and the president here is very, even though he's not shown on screen, is very clearly Ronald Reagan. Yes, and uh, he's well now, generals. I'm sure that if young people will just be more careful about their dating habits, and if you promote the use of condos. That's a different plague, Mr. President. We're talking yeah. about vampires. Here. Yeah, it, it, you know, at the time I would have wouldn't have thought anything about it, but it's very, uh, it's pretty clunky. Yeah, <laughs> just a, and, a, and a little, uh, a little, little different than what I would expected to get from Marvel comic in 1991. To be honest with you, when I read the word condos, I was like, right. "What the hell?" Right. <laughs> you know. But again, no, no problems with with uh, the violence. But yeah, condos blew me away. Right. Um, but. One of the other things that I think is interesting is when they're giving you uh, the the breakdown of, hey, here are the first heroes that Wolverine turned and let rise from the dead to be vampires. Mm-hmm. Here's all the heroes that he did not let rise from the dead. Here's the vampires. That, here's the characters that they just flat out killed. 
Uh, can one of you just pull that up? I don't have it on. I got it. What is the What is the caption on that? I'll let, let, so, let me read that. I'll read it. So it's got a one panel, uh, and it's got you know all these headshots, right? Like you know corner box style headshots of all these Marvel characters, and you've got um, you know She Hulk, Luke Cage, the Shocker, Spider Man, Hulk, Moon Knight, who's called out by name, Moon Knight, <laughs> uh, Dagger, uh, Kingpin, uh, Mastermind, like all these characters that are on there. Um, and, and what I assume is what I read to be. Paladin up in the top right hand corner looks like him. Uh, but also, if you look down at the bottom, when Paladin's in the left hand corner beside Mockingbird, it's like, so I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to figure out like what the deal is. Anyway, all that to say, uh, the the caption says, even the legendary superheroes residing in the city find themselves all but powerless against foes who are both vampires and mutants. A few of those who died beneath their fangs are are allowed by Wolverine to return as the undead. Among them, Spider-Man, Moon Knight, and many who were once called supervillains. Others, at Logan's directive, die the final death from which there is no awakening. If there is rhyme or reason to his choices, none of the vampire (laughs) hordes can detect it. Now, here's the thing. (laughs) Here's the thing. Either that's a script thing. Right. Or that is that is somebody scripting over and just feels like you know this is where I love if this is Marvel method and let's say Roy Thomas and uh, Jean Marie Lafusier have given like hey here's the thing make sure the last two panels show the heroes that survived and the heroes right. that died and doesn't really in, matter who doesn't matter who and then suddenly and and I think Roy if you're listening I absolutely love you uh, John Mark if you're listening we've never met but I, I've enjoyed your books as well uh, but I think that somebody in that panel somebody was like no way would he not let Daredevil live no way and this is their way of saying like rhyme or reason we can't figure it out whoever's on here you know it's a, it's an interesting sort of like because they never come back to it it almost feels like they're going to say he kills these guys and because and, this is the Watcher saying this he kills these guys and nobody knows why well of course you do Watcher like you're the Watcher yeah I spent so much time just looking at these two panels like why would he kill these that's right that's right like, and it never comes back up why like, you know I'm it's like, like Kingpin gets to come back but Frogman doesn't the Frogman's <laughs> like in there. okay okay I'm like maybe maybe he kills the Fantastic Four because Reventers could find a cure and maybe solve, solve all this right. but no I get Reed yeah right. Reed and, like I get Reed and I could see Doom Doom, Doom, Doom yeah. comes up as a successor for the Su- Sorcerer Supreme I, I get I get the Scarlet Witch yep um I get uh I don't I don't necessarily get the Black Knight. You know what I mean? Yeah. I get. I don't like the thing. Seems like he would be a good one to have on your side, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I, I of course get Hawkeye, Best Avenger. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. curious if a vampire could bite Ben Grimm. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. He clearly kills him, right? But maybe <laughs> so, that's why. Yeah, how they kill him? Yeah, exactly. Well, apparently zombies can. If you remember, Marvel that's true. Zombies. Yeah, that's true. Right. He, he does become. He does become one. That's right. That's such an. Odd, I, I had forgotten that. It's that's just so an interesting weird. way of, of of saying it. Um, I love it at the end when they're uh, when Wolverine you know breaks the hold of the evil vampire you know he's he's broken through Cathan's hold of all these years he's broken through vampire uh, Varney's hold he's broken Dracula's evil uh, and then Doctor Strange and him are like okay we're gonna we're gonna read the Montesi formula and Logan's like I can't read Latin and it's like hold on now <laughs> at first the Watcher refers to Logan as a young man early on in the issue. Uh, and then Logan can't read. Uh, Logan can't read Latin. Those are my favorite two parts of the issue. So yeah, I mean it's a fun issue. Like it, it makes is. no sense in a lot of places. Sure, I, I do love that the panel of the the vampires sort of succumbing to the the spell. 
the the characters that we see are Magneto, Spider Man, and Moon Knight, and and, so, and and part of that as well. I I do kind of love that scene where Wolverine is reading the Darkhold and slowly disintegrating himself. Yes, he's and like you get the feeling the only thing holding him together there is his healing factor. Right, right. Which apparently survives vampirism somehow, to a point at least. I, you know, I've always you know maybe we'll get into this when we, we'll talk about Marvel zombies, but like. How does Wolverine get infected with vampirism? How does Wolverine get infected with zombie with zombie virus? Wouldn't the, the healing factor just fight it off? Yeah, right. I mean, we've seen the healing factor just like. But then there, there's the the zombie Deadpool too. Oh, that hurts. Deadpool. Oh uh, no, because because he's a severed head with the little beanie that. All right. Color. When we reach Deadpool, it's time to. It's time, <laughs> <laughs> it's time to end this. So, um, Chad. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yes. And we hope to have you back again sometime in the near future. Very much so. Can you do an outro for yourself real quick? Like, yeah. Uh, I'm Chad Bowers. You can find my uh, link tree. Uh, actually, probably go to my Twitter. It's easy to find everything from there. So I'm at Chad Bowers on Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's it. Thank you guys for having me. Do you have any current projects coming out soon? Or? Uh, nothing I can talk about. Oh, no. Yeah, that's exciting. It's always fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nothing I can talk about. Hopefully we can have you yeah, sure, talk about them. I always have, always have stuff coming out. But, Very cool. Uh, well, thank I'm doing you a sequel being. to What If number uh, 24. Uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Well, thank you so much for coming Thanks, out. guys. I appreciate it. All, it. Have All different kind of ideas. And of course, you can find us. Uh, we are reachable on Twitter at Tomb of Ideas. You can reach us on email if you've got an issue for the grab bag episodes that you want us to talk about. Preferably please. single issues. Maybe uh, maybe like a two issue if it's a really good one, but let's yeah. try to stick to single issues. Yeah. Um, please let us know. Our email address is Tomb of Ideas at gmail.com. Um, we can be found on Facebook at facebook.com slash Tomb of Ideas. And of course, we may be all new and all different, but we are still proud members of the Cinepunks Podcasting Network. That's right. So that means you'll find our entire back catalog on Cinepunks.com. That's Cinepunks with an X. Um, in addition to a lot of other great shows, including... Like X Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> uh, including the flagship Cinepunks show, uh, Horror Business, um, The Carnage Report, and a bunch of other great stuff. Yep. Good stuff. Anyway, two believers, until next time, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to the Tomb of Ideas, a Marvel Horror Podcast. Until next time, Tombers Excelsior! Ha <laughs> ha